Now, for me, the first of the significant evolutionary steps in mankind's climb to the top was the development of language, and it's that that we're going to be discussing in this first programme. Language is incredibly important. In fact, this show is made up almost entirely of language. <laughs> so... <laughs> so, how has mankind come by this form of communication? Well, the standard anthropological answer is that it was needed for hunting. Because we're quite crap and we have no natural weapons, we had to hunt in packs. We had to hunt with next door, even though we don't really get on. <laughs> Not since they, you know, borrowed the wheel and didn't give it back. <laughs> and so language was developed as a way of communicating during a hunt. That's what the anthropologist will tell you. I have to say, I'm not entirely convinced that's true. I think language is more likely to have developed spontaneously, probably between a cave couple who were just furious with each other, entirely incandescent with rage and wholly incapable of expressing their emotions, just standing opposite each other in the cave going, until something had to give and one of them finally snapped and shouted, oh, you tit! Oh, it's all coming out now, isn't it? place up this cave's a tip. Well, why didn't you say something before? I couldn't, could I? <laughs> You're a pig, you are. My mother warned me about you. Oh, really? How? <laughs> At any rate, whichever theory you decide to subscribe to, the development of language must stand as one of mankind's most remarkable and important achievements. Of course, other animals do communicate, but only to a point. The best-known example is the dances which bees perform in their hives to indicate to other bees where to find food. And while they don't exactly constitute language as such, they are extremely sophisticated. Now, we're very lucky today to have with us, to explain more about this remarkable phenomenon, top apiarist Mike Barnett. Hello, Mike. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, my pleasure. Now, Mike, how long have you been keeping bees? On and off for 15 years. On and off? I'd rather not talk about it. <laughs> OK. So, can you explain to us how exactly bees tell each other where to find food? Well, it's quite remarkable. It's done through a complex system of bodily signals. If you can imagine such a thing, it's like, give us a clue, uh, crossed with come dancing, crossed with bees. Um, <laughs> how it works is, well, why don't I show you? Oh, great. Have you uh, brought some with you? I have, yes. I've got two in this jam jar. This is little Lisa and this is little Lionel. <laughs> now, if we open the jar... Out you pop, my lovelies. Come on. Come on. Come on! <laughs> That's right. Now, Lisa went for a bit of a fly around before we came out, and she hasn't had a chance to tell Lionel what she's found out yet. So in a second, she'll start doing her little bee dance, and I'll interpret the moves for you as we go along. Fascinating. And, and, and you know what all the moves mean? Mostly, yes. <laughs> she doesn't seem to have started yet. Well, you have to be patient. She's just getting her bearings for a second. Come on, you little cow! <laughs> oh, she's off. That's there we go. Uh, let's see what she's got to say for herself. <laughs> one circle to the right there. One... Yes, one circle to the left. Uh, ah, now she's vibrating her body dorsoventrally at a medium pace. Uh, she's speeding up. Speeding up. <gasps> oh, my God, there's been a murder. <laughs> really? Well, hang on, let me look it up. Ah, oh, no, it's a nasturtium. She's seen a nasturtium. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, it's, a, it's an easy mistake. Uh, she's got a gammy leg. It's, it's like a speech impediment to a bee. Um, I should have known she's had me on all sorts of wild goose chases. I'm a, I'm a laughing stock at Scotland Yard. <laughs> and now you've shown me up in front of all these people, haven't you? What have you got to say for yourself? Oh, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. 
right. Lionel. Second time lucky. Are you going to do your little dance? Good lad. And off he goes. Yes. Come on. Yes. Yes. That's it. Keep dancing. <gasps> oh, my God, there's been a murder. Mike Barnett, thank you very much. <laughs> Whilst bees are able to communicate in this limited form, it's very much instinctive behaviour and not learned as true languages. Humans have been trying to teach animals to speak for years. It's hardly surprising. We seem to have an obsession with what animals are thinking. People are always saying, if only they could talk, I wonder what they'd say. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Dogs would say... <laughs> Look, do you want this stick or not? <laughs> Cows would say... Get this ridiculous contraption off my nipples. <laughs> What on earth were you thinking? <laughs> Teaching language to animals has only met with limited success. It was famously proved possible to teach chimps around 130 signed or written words, but they were never able to pick up the subtleties of true language. Despite constant attempts, for example, their trainers were never able to teach them to communicate for one minute without hesitation, repetition or deviating from the subject. <laughs> And, Charles, your turn to begin. And the subject now is ballroom dancing. Talk on it, 60 seconds, starting now. <laughs> Clement challenged you. Repetition. Right. What's that? Repetition. Of what? Ha, 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 ha. So the evolutionary leap between basic instinctive communication and sophisticated language seems to be a huge one. Professor Herring. Absolutamente. In fact, it was relatively easy for cavemen to develop language because there wasn't a great deal of language needed, since there wasn't much stuff around. For example, you don't need words for pixies, elves or goblins if you don't have pixies, elves or goblins. Yes, but we still don't have pixies, elves or goblins. Picky, picky, picky. <laughs> the point is that at first, language was very limited. Yes. Anyway, in the millennia since those linguistically stunted days, the amount of language in existence has grown to the point now where there's so much that there are 5,000 or so different recorded languages. 5,000. That's a huge number, which I think goes some way to explaining why the people in the part of South East London where I live don't appear to have chosen one as yet. <laughs> still looking through the catalogue. <laughs> Professor Herring, 5,000 languages, that's a remarkable amount. Indeedy doody. And an amazing... <laughs> amazing breadth of language types also. We tend to imagine that all languages employ the same sound system as our own, but it's simply not the case. The Bantu languages of southern Africa, for example, are quite remarkable. The Bantu people, you see, communicate through a system of clicks and tuts. It sounds a little like they're constantly surrounded by horses they've no need of <laughs> but they just don't seem to grasp it in fact some forms of communication if are... I may I'm oh, sorry I thought you'd finished well I hadn't <laughs> there are other quite remarkable languages. Hebrew, for example. <laughs> now, although Hebrew is a very ancient <laughs> tongue indeed, philologists and sociolinguists believe that it may well be the universal language of the future because in its written form, Hebrew has no vowels, which makes it ideal for texting. <laughs> Is that, is that true? 
It's not true in the sense of actually being true, no. <laughs> but it is true. <laughs> I see. As I was going to say, some forms of communication fall entirely outside the normal vocal apparatus. For example, there's a Mexican tribe who live in the state of Oaxaca who are speakers of Mazateco, but who, incredibly, barter for goods entirely by means of whistling. Eh, I would like to buy a cow. No, 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 no. You have to whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you? You just put your lips together and blow. It's a my mistake. It's a deal. <laughs> to us, such communication might seem at best odd or, at worst, frivolous, but the deals made this way are binding, and to break them is seen as deeply dishonourable. Roger Whittaker's ill-fated Mexican tour of 1974 <laughs> almost bankrupted him when he accidentally bought two villages during a concert. <laughs> In fact, our use of language has become so complex and subtle that we're able to communicate ideas without even stating them directly. We use subtext all the time to get what we mean across. Very often, we communicate notions of status through subtext. You'll see this if you ever watch a working-class person talking to a middle-class person. Each of them will subtly and indirectly assert their status through their choice of language. For example, the middle-class person might say something like... Pass me that favourite book of utopias next to the volume of poems on the underground. <laughs> Whereas the working-class person might give themselves away by charging more than is strictly fair or reasonable for car repairs. 